What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 374. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose. Welcome to My 7 Chakras, and now your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. Hey everyone, what's up? Action Tribe AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you experience effortless healing, awakening, and Abundance. In today's episode, we talk about some really amazing and powerful topics such as breathwork, healing, spiritual experiences, and uh, the healing qualities of nature and finding your life purpose as well. So if you'd like to explore these topics, then make sure that you listen till the very end. And this conversation that we're having today is a result of uh, my intention to connect with people from in and around Vancouver in British Columbia, because as you might know, most of our guests in the past have been from USA. And I know that Vancouver has some amazing people, uh, especially in the healing space. So I reached out to a local uh, community, a Facebook group uh, that I'm part of right now. And that's how I connected with Zach, who's our guest for today, along with some other amazing people as well. Uh, With that being said, let's bring on our guest for today, Zachary Hoop. Zachary is a breath worker, movement and meditation instructor and operates ZK Alignment Coaching, a holistic program that helps individuals align with their vision, purpose and values and teaches practices of nervous system regulation, rewiring and optimization. Zach founded his own movement of practice named Evolutionary Flow, which combines a diversity of practices ranging from various yoga and Qigong styles to dynamic and static meditations and exercise and martial fitness. Zach, are you ready to inspire? Yes, let's do this. Thank you for having me on, AJ. And hello to all the listeners out there. Good morning. If it's morning where you're at right now, it is where we are. And let's dive in. 
Awesome. So it's great to have you on the show. And by the way, if you're listening to the show right now, whether you're listening live or maybe it's an on-demand replay that you're watching, make sure that you interact with us, add your comments, you know, share your feedbacks, your thoughts on what is being shared. And, uh, you know, we'd like to have it that way. All right. So, uh, Zach, maybe we can start from the very beginning. Talk to us about your childhood. Um, you know, what was your childhood like? Uh, where, did, where did you grow up? Ooh, dive right into psychotherapy. <laughs> um, childhood. Born and raised in British Columbia. Grew up in a, a fairly small town of Langley. Not very um, diverse in its nature. Grew up in a fairly sheltered community in a Christian school, Christian home. Kind of grew up in that little bubble as I began to move out from high school into university. I expanded and moved to Toronto for a little bit. I studied a number of things related to psychology, neuroscience. I was in dentistry for a little bit, jumped around and found myself exploring the exotic realms of altered states of consciousness throughout my life. At a very early age, I would love to, since I lived alone, to just dig big holes and sit in them and just lose myself in that kind of unknown bliss of being in void as a kid. As I developed, uh, that became a passion and mm. became much more intellectualized, really studying the nervous system and neuroscience of what I'm doing when I alter my consciousness. And it evolved from a practice of just trying to play, and it's still an aspect of that, to how is this altering of my consciousness something that can benefit myself, my own growth and my expansion, and other people too. And I really found the practices of meditation and plant medicines and breath work and the relationship I built with those over the years developed and developed. And that's where I found my love and joy and what I could offer many people. That's awesome. Thanks a lot for sharing. And the reason why I ask and talk about childhood at the beginning, because as you might agree, our childhood holds clues, right? In terms of what we want to do, our yearnings, our deeply rooted intentions. I remember when I was a kid, uh, yoga was sort of mandatory at school. And the best part of my yoga practice was the Shavasana at the end, where I would focus on each and every part of the body. And I didn't have a word to describe that feeling, but that state was amazing. The intense relaxation that I experienced at the end and being able to take my consciousness, you know, from one body part to the other and relax it. So uh, thanks a lot for sharing. You know, just as you look back, did you have any mystical or spiritual experiences um, as a kid? They weren't extraordinary mystical, as in elated states. There were yeah. more on the other spectrum of I battled a depression for nearly 10 years and the lows and the kind of bleak states were mystical in a way where there was a complete dissociation of my body and consciousness through I had a traumatic birthing experience of being born with my cord wrapped around my neck and I had later developed various hallucinations at night and ear problems which resulted in hallucinations and it was all very dark till a certain point but yes many encounters with altering my mind in those ways so at what point did you learn that you had these negative experiences or this difficult phase when you during the birthing process at what time did you did you always know it or at some point, did somebody tell you? Did your mom tell you? Or did you feel that deep, deep down? I would say I have a hard time remembering anything before the age of 10. And okay. that was when I really came into my depression. So that was when the emotion really started. And then that's when I connected back to then. And I was told about the experiences. So I think I'd experienced a fair amount of trauma in my body. 
And I had a hard time encoding the memories due to those early childhood experiences. And when I was finally ready to start to feel those mm. and explore that is in and around 10. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So, you know, when you were that age, when you were 10 or maybe even eight, um, around that age, did you, do you remember what did you want to become, you know, when you grew up? I have it written down that I wanted to build log cabins at one point at a very okay. early age. <laughs> right. So you wanted to be out in nature, doing some building, working with your hands. It's amazing. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I wanted to, as a kid, be a paleontologist uh, mm. because at one point my dad bought me some books on dinosaurs and I totally, you know, dove right in, learned about all these different dinosaurs. And that sort of fascinated me. You know, when I was a kid, I remember I was at my aunt's place and in the backyard, I started digging right in the, in the soil, in the mud and getting dirty. And then I was so happy because I uncovered like, like a skull and I thought it was a dinosaur. And I went back home and my aunt was obviously angry because it was the skull of cow or a bull, uh, you know, <laughs> but it's crazy what creativity and imagination and not having the sense of limitedness can do for a kid. So as you're growing up, you have these spiritual experiences and you want to learn more and more about uh, what controls our mind and the world around us. How did you go about finding your path or your calling? Depends how far back I connect the dots. Um, when I was 13, I did try psilocybin mushrooms. And yeah. that was a pivotal point for a 13-year-old in a bubbled school. And that fascination continued as I worked with a lot of plant medicines in my early 20s. And I traveled mm -hmm. to different places in Peru and Costa Rica and worked among various shamans. So I had this fascination with the medicine world. Um, and a call towards being in it, but I knew I wasn't a shaman. And that's mm. quite clear to me. That's a very deep lineage. And I was very tuned into the other worlds of yoga and breath. And one of my first breath experiences was with a style called holotropic breathing. And I actually relived my birthing experience in one of my first sessions there. And I was like, what just happened? Because at that point, that session, I broke down crying and I felt emotions that I felt that I hadn't felt in 15 years. Like I felt like I was feeling for the first time. And it was, as you said, the childhood experiences that have imprinted for so long, that mode of being and relating in the nervous system for me. As soon as I broke that threshold and released that blockage, I could feel again. And I was like, what is this? And this is all done within me and my breath without any source of anything outside of myself. And I was instantly intrigued and I was like, I'm going to do this. Wonderful. So we're getting into breath work, but before that you spoke about your experience with uh, trying out magic mushrooms or uh, psilocybin. So take us back there. You know, what was happening in your life? Where were you? And what made you have the mushroom? When I first tried them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was like 12 or 13. Um, we had this one kid. We were at a private school who was like the bad kid who had the, the stuff. And it was Halloween. And we tried a little bit. And we just kind of walked around. Mm. And the experience was wasn't very mystical in nature, um, but it was very freeing from the confines of my usual perception. Mm -hmm. I had entered a world where the people that were dressed up were seemingly transformed as well as myself. And that restructuring of what perception is in my mind left the lasting imprint of me beginning to re-examine how I see the world. So it wasn't a very stereotypical spiritual experience from its how it yeah. Would look on like a movie, but it really left a deep impact on how I see the world. Got it. It was sort of like an 
opening for you, a porthole sort of, and then which I guess sucked you in. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so moving on to breathwork, you spoke about your first experience with breathwork, holotropic breathing, where you, I guess, went back in time and you visualized your uh, birthing experience and you and you were able to get an enormous release from that experience. Uh, what happened after that? Did you, you know, do more of that or? I did about five sessions with holotropic, mm-hmm. and yeah. I was interested in pursuing that method. The methodology and training wasn't something that aligned with what I was doing in my life. So I continued on different aspects of coaching until I met one of my mentors, who is a trained teacher in a different style of conscious connected breathwork. Mm-hmm. And synchronistically, we met at a peyote ceremony, and he agreed to be my mentor at the pretty well the second time we met. So that was one of those synchronistic moments of the universe kind of opening its doors. And we had a breathwork session together and I felt the universe call out and ask, are you ready for this path? And are you ready to go? And I said, yes. And my whole life just transformed after that moment. It was like being swept away into another portal. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's it's quite funny how we experience these uh, moments, um, whether it's uh, psilocybin or whether it's... uh, breath work. And once we get connected with that side of us that was uh, previously unconscious, once we get to know that there's so much more out there that we possibly don't know, uh, and once we sort of in a way let go, we open up to these wonderful synchronistic experiences. We invite people into our lives and moments and experiences. Yeah, I mean, I remember having like a deep experience of breath work. I think it was maybe a year back, where I was doing this Soma breath work, which we were speaking about before this uh, episode, but um, somewhere in between the meditation, when I was closing my eyes, I began to see like a purplish color that became larger and larger. And it felt as if it was coming closer and closer to me, almost as if I was communicating or it was communicating with me. Uh, And the more I do it, especially last week, I experienced like a an entire dome of purplish, bluish light. And it was it felt as I was sitting inside that dome, although it was my mind. So it's fascinating what uh, breathwork can do for you, right? <laughs> Beautiful. I love the few points you brought up about the early child experience and letting go into that mystery. And those are such pivotal aspects along the journey of opening into what the world can offer. Mm. And so you said for some reason, you sort of let go of holotropic breathwork. What about it? you know, maybe did not align or resonate with you. Was there something like that? It was more the path towards the training didn't okay. align with me at the time. Okay. Um, my primary method in a clinical practice is conscious connected. And I teach okay. a very gentle practice, meaning that it can be done. I work with people who are end of life cancer treatment and towards that end of the spectrum. And they need something that's very easeful on their body. Mm-hmm. Depending on how we breathe, we can stimulate different parts of the nervous system. Right. In general, holotropic doesn't have a lot of guidance, and people often breathe a little bit more sympathetic, so there's a little bit more activity, which can be great and very stimulating, and I use it on my practices and implement some of it, mm-hmm. but I gravitated to a more healing, self-healing practice of a more balanced breath with a little bit more calm and deep listening. Okay, got it, got it. So, so take us back, you went to this POD ceremony and you, then you met your your mentor, right? What happened after that? He asked me to lead a men's retreat with him okay. within a few weeks. And that was three days of immersion. We do um, we work with some of the indigenous 
elders of the land and they run a ceremonial sweat lodge and we do a portion where we do breath work qigong yoga cold plunges be out in nature and really dive into everything that makes us human mm-hmm. and after that we just continued to work together and we started holding breath circles and launching more events and he just basically showed me everything shout out to him edward dangerfield who teaches now in bali he's an mm-hmm. amazing uh, breath worker and yeah I, I, as soon as you fully sign on to a pathway i believe and mm. devote enough of your energies like the yogic idea of like take all your energies and move them in one direction you've committed and you've let go into it like the whole world just opens up in a beautiful way mm-hmm. that's wonderful uh so you know just like we were discussing people who do breath work can vouch for some really you know trippy and ecstatic experiences what has been your most maybe memorable moment from doing breath work so far that's a challenging one with a lot of really powerful ones <laughs> so I get really my personal practice I go really deep so I'll devote like days or weeks to being out in the forest and there will be like a crescendo of practicing for 3 to 12 hours a day for multiple days and when you've been breathing and moving in such a conscious and devoted manner there's you know it, it's a timeless space that one may enter and in one particular case I was fasting for multiple days I had done some plant medicines along with breath work, which I don't recommend any of these things for people who are lay or just touching their toes in it. You need a mm-hmm. lot of stabilizing practices. Yeah. But um, the experience was out in the forest and out in the sun. And at the very peak of it, I dove into cold water and then come right back out and then continued on. And then there was just a complete dissolution of my body. And what it felt like was waves of experience of emotions that I hadn't processed but that's fairly regular for those to move through the body in a breathwork experience and that's the trauma cycle or the unprocessed emotion coming to be felt but the waves were so compressed it was like 10 years of unprocessed emotion hitting my body at once mm-hmm. and it really felt as if my nervous system was being challenged to take it and the experience was one of I'm not going to be able to take this and I'm going to die so mm-hmm. I was very much twitching and rushing around and it would come in waves and the way I saw it was like past karma just like waving over in bursts and when I came out of it I was in a little ball as if I've just been just like raked over so many times and all I could say was thank you thank you thank you and that was my mantra just like I was so grateful to have mm-hmm. felt all the pain in my life and know it so well. And I really feel for me, like at the end of my life, all the unprocessed emotion that we have often has a chance to come up if at the end of life or thereafter, and we will fully feel it and be so thankful for this life. And I feel like that was a moment of like synthesizing everything that's happened before or mm-hmm. so much of it in one moment that when it hit, you it's the most powerful thing in the world wow so you're out in nature you've had some plant medicine you've done some fasting you do some obviously you do breath work and then you do the cold plunge and so you're mixing all these different experiences which obviously <laughs> that uh, ecstatic experience so talk to us about fasting what does fasting do for you it addresses mental emotional physical and spiritual healing mm-hmm. uh, physically it's very regenerative for the body it takes the resources that we usually spend on growing and you know, utilizing food and it it takes them into a regenerative capacity for the body to do its immune regulation and healing. Mm. Mentally, there's such clarity 
or the nervous system when it's clear and open, there's a lot more availability of the higher brain centers to become active when there's not mm. so much going on. Emotionally, you're so much more in tune with your body because mm. there's hunger, pains, and everything's drawing you in. It's like, yeah. I'm not doing well. I, like, turn in, turn in. So you're mm. much more, you have to sit with it. There's no guarding it. Mm. And spiritually, um, there's less of a connection for me and my body. So there's a capacity to move more into the subtle energies not the denser, more like the muscle bound. It's more the subtle energy of the breath. Mm -hmm. And from there, being a breath worker, like being able to play with moving those energies, like the gentle energy of the Kundalini up the spine and the felt sense of my chakras becomes very visceral. Mm -hmm. Whereas in my day to day, I don't feel my chakras as I move around. But if I go into a deep fasting state, mm -hmm. it's, they're there. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's quite fascinating that we hear about uh, fasting and the power of fasting in religion, whether it's Christianity or Hinduism and, or even Buddhism, as well as uh, spiritual traditions. Uh, we hear about monks and yogis and sadhus all talking about the power of fasting. And I used to think years back that we had to eat all the time. You have breakfast and a lunch and a dinner and snacks in between. And then I came across uh, intermittent fasting. And I was like, you know, is this really possible? And I, I tried it out, but after I sort of skipped breakfast and this might not work for everybody. You got to try and see if it works for you, but I feel more lighter. I feel much more clearer, especially if I have my first meal at about one thirty-two ish. And sometimes in the evening, if I'm not hungry, I just, I don't make it, uh, you know, a routine to have to eat all the time. And, and it's wonderful. So thanks a lot for sharing that. It does have benefits uh, physically. You have much more resources for your body to build immunity, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. So that's great. So what other practices do you, especially these days, do along with um, breath work for really healing and relaxing the nervous system? Because you, you've mentioned some of them, uh, but, but if you could maybe elaborate a bit. I usually spend, at this point in quarantine, I'll do about five days of really concerted work. And then I take two days off to just focus on healing and breaking up the patterns that have been playing out during the week. And that's a big part of my healing is noticing how I'm thinking and being and feeling and sensing where the energy is blocked in my body and then choosing a practice that addresses that. So often what I'll do is I'll either fast or I'm doing two days of just eating fruit and vegetables. That's pretty well, just a very light diet. It's a similar effect if anyone were to try it of fasting where you get very light in your body as you were speaking. And it's a very different feel. Mm. And then I just exploring like if i'm very pent up and i've been working very concerted on a, a computer i'll dance for an hour or two and that'll shift the energy i do a lot of self-massage i go out in nature barefoot and do a lot of mindfulness meditation um my routine is about two to four hours a day on a regular basis so i just extend those times and at a certain point the level of intuitive healing comes out and my body just goes into like walking around the room and finding something and starting to massage my body and that'll develop into something. And then throughout it, there's a complete letting go of moving how my body wants to move, allowing my thoughts to move how they want to go. And if you sustain that or I sustain that for a day or two, the subconscious seems to percolate so much more forward and there's a natural purging of what was resonant for the week. So I do that weekly purge of the mind, body and the nervous system patterns. and yeah, it has. It's more for me about affording myself the space to just 
be free and to allow that time. And the body knows how to heal. Mm -hmm. So all the practices are great and they synthesize over time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, affording yourself some time to just be and see what arises. Like sit with the boredom enough so that something novel has to happen within you. And often I find that there's great healing in that. Got it. I love what you said that the body knows how to heal. Um, we just sometimes need to provide it the right environment or the right posture or the right state. <laughs> and once we are in that state, the body knows how to heal, uh, whether it's through fasting or through movement, like you said, dance routines, ecstatic dance, being out in nature, being bare, uh, you know, going barefoot, which I love, whether it's on grass or maybe even sand. It does something for you, right? I mean, it's uh, beyond words that when you step on the grass, you feel a sense of release as if Gaia or Mother Earth is, uh, you know, extracting all the stress, all the anxiety that was sort of holding us back. And now it's into the earth. Um, and then we can focus on something else. So uh, you also do Qigong, right? Uh, I mean, I love Qigong myself. I find it really, really soothing, very relaxing, very connecting, even if it's something simple posture or the pose or the moment that you're doing. How did you um, discover this amazing practice? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had dabbled with it a little bit before I met my mentor, but mm -hmm. my mentor teaches Qigong. So okay. he taught me a bunch of Bedouin and several other movements. And from mm -hmm. there, it just I fell in love with it for many reasons. I found that when I practiced yoga, as I left the yoga studio, I left in a really good state, but it didn't restructure the way I moved through the world as much as Qigong. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a beautiful flowing nature that develops within my body and how I hold it. Yeah. And I feel that I can, as I leave my Qigong practice, I walk around in that way. And mm -hmm. that sense of balance, you know, the optimal balance of yin and yang yeah. is able to carry out. And I, I walk different. I stood different. And people started noticing that. And there was a sense and feel of something completely different. And I was like, this is a diverse practice that it offers something truly unique. Yeah, for sure. I can definitely resonate with this. I mean, yoga has its place for sure. Uh, but then Qigong has not just the moves, but it has a philosophy of life as well, right? I mean, just the idea of effortless exertion, uh, the principles of visualization. I remember uh, when I did this uh, Qigong class in a local community center, the teacher was like, imagine as if you are at the bottom of the ocean and you're doing these flows that are, you're not exerting too much effort, but you're flowing into it. But that's still so, so powerful. And uh, it has a lingering effect uh, throughout the day which is which is amazing so um so thanks a lot for sharing um now you spoke a bit about uh, cold immersion hot immersion uh maybe we can talk about that for a bit what are your thoughts uh, on those practices yeah just one more piece on the qigong one of the primary teachings that i have is how we move and breathe is how we think and feel and yeah. we embody our emotions and our thoughts and changing mm -hmm. our breath and movement patterns and knowing different movement patterns as a toolkit or resource 
is such a valuable asset to any situation because you're always moving and breathing. And so long as you know where you're at and where you want to go and you can make the conscious shift, you mm-hmm. have invaluable resources. Oh yeah. In terms sure. of hot and cold, I've loved saunas since I was like 14. Yeah. I would love to hang out in saunas and just talk with the social environment for one. There's yeah. a sense of openness that develops. And I would talk to these 65 year olds and 50 year olds and gain so much knowledge and life experience from being in that environment and physically, mentally, emotionally, Spiritually, it's one of those ones. Heat shock proteins, development of the nervous system, yeah, resounding benefits. Um, but ultimately, I just, I just love the feel of it. There's some things in life, like being barefoot in the ground. You do them, they feel good. You know they have so much benefits. But ultimately, it's like, if you don't love being in the sauna, don't force yourself to be in the sauna. But honestly, I love to be hot and cold and move from the, the two of them. It's that yin and yang. It's like, you be with both sensations. You find yourself in the middle and you find so much more balance in life when you can dance between the opposites. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think one thing I miss most uh, from this pandemic is the fact that YMCA is closed. And uh, I used to always go to the sauna or the steam room. And yeah. you're right. I mean, uh, I think saunas were the social media, the original social media, so to speak, because you're in that sauna, you have, uh, especially the older generation they're like chatting and they're talking and they're complaining about the government or (laughs) (laughs) get to know what people are sensing and feeling and uh it's it's fun you you get to be part of the conversation and the beautiful part is especially here in vancouver in ymca the one at langara you got a mix of races so it's not just one you got you know you got uh white people, you've got, uh, you know, Asian people, you've got, uh, you know, Indians, Punjabis, and you've got everyone mixing, feeling like we're together, feeling like we're part of the community. And of course, sometimes complaining about the government. <laughs> but but uh, it's very relaxing. I completely agree. And uh, I do cold showers also every day. Um, obviously, initially, it's difficult. But once you get into cold showers, just the feeling of coming out of the cold showers and that relax, relaxing sensation. You don't feel like doing warm showers anymore. I do warm showers in the evening, but in the morning, I usually do a cold shower. It's, it's, it's incredibly um, rewarding for sure. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah, I miss my sauna so much. <laughs> and with the cold showers, I do yeah. hot and cold, hot and cold generally. Yeah. A lot of cold mm-hmm. plunges. Yeah. But it, it tells me about my level of resistance. If I'm resisting mm-hmm. life, I don't want to go in the cold. But if I'm open to life, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So it's like a good check-in in the morning. It's like, how open is your nervous system and how ready are you to say yes to life? Oh, yeah. That, that's the part too, right? I mean, <laughs> it does that for you. Like life is going to provide you challenges and difficulties and, and obstacles. That's for sure. You can't avoid that. But just getting into the cold shower, you learn to embrace the cold or the challenges. And once you become one with it, you... You're not resisting the cold or the challenges anymore. And you have this sense of confidence, just like making the bed in the morning. That one win <laughs> in the morning can really make you, I guess, more resilient. Um, and obviously, the accompanying health benefits of uh, the flow of your blood, the increased immunity. And I think it, it also burns this type of fat called brown fat in our body. So it does, in a way, I guess, help with weight loss if that's the direction that you want to go in. Right. Yeah. It creates uh, the more resilient brown fat. And mm-hmm. I, I deal a lot with the, the chakras. Yeah. And I speak of them in several different ways. One is that they correlate to different hormonal gland centers in different zones of the body. 
So you have six major zones, the legs and the hips and the pelvis and the belly, and then the heart and the neck and the head. And often these zones hold blockages and those could be physical, mental, or emotional. And I find that doing a shower run and moving into those different areas and I can really test them. If I get a blockage in my throat, mm. I can feel it in my breath. I can sometimes feel it as a constriction. And if I get some cold water on it, there'll be a little bit different of a sensation in my body because mm. the blood is not flowing there. But once I get a little cold water in there, that sensation will often open that emotion or move it in such a way. So it's a great whole system rejuvenation there. Interesting. So you just uh, expose that particular nerve ganglia or that area of your body to the cold? Yeah. And if I'm doing something like hot and cold, hot and cold, I'll do it on a localized area. And then I might do some like tension and relax, tension, Mm. relax, and really open and close that area. And then some movement practice of Qigong and really get everything flowing in a good way. Get the chi moving. Oh, absolutely. Got it. I'll try that out next time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, now, I noticed that you spend a lot of time out in nature, mm-hmm. whether like you mentioned, it is, um, you know, just meditating, doing some breath work, or even uh, immersing yourself um, in, in the water. What does what does nature do for you? It's, it's everything. It's balance. When I'm not in nature, I am incredibly unbalanced on every level. Um, one of the recent developments I've had in the last year, I've been very busy with my business and it's to drive a lot and be in cities a lot. And still with all my practices, there was a piece missing and I wasn't spending enough time in nature. Mm. And I've been very blessed to be out in Squamish and during this quarantine, be able to spend a lot of time outside. And like all that confusion I had about so many pieces of my life, like I had a lot of spiritual confusion about right and wrong and how one should act. And I got very into trying to listen to the spiritual community and I lost touch with myself being exposed to so many other people and doing what I do coming out to nature and without even practices just mm. being out in nature I yeah. find it teaches me how to live because you have to interact with nature in such a way mm. not I don't mean like when you go to the park but if you go out for weeks in a tent and you have to on some level survive and I'm not hunting but that would teach you even more you have to interact with nature and it's like that qigong it teaches you how to live this is a natural development of how to move if there's danger how to react and it's like no doctrine teaches Mm -hmm. you in every cell of your body epigenetically i believe there are transformations that are made when we put ourselves in that particular environment and then if i spend enough time in there that's like my resounding connection is to the earth and Mm -hmm. not to the city and that's for me life life is nature the city is like a bubble we've created which is a beautiful bubble. But if we get too lost in that, it, it, we can lose our way, I feel. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, living in British Columbia, we have this gift of access to nature and mountains and rivers and streams. Uh, it's beautiful. I mean, my friend is a fly fisher, and so he loves going out. Uh, we go out together, and while he's doing the fishing, sometimes I might just go for you know long walks or maybe meditate or you know just connect uh, with nature. And I find that, like you said, you know you don't necessarily have to do a practice; you can just be. Uh, but just hearing the crescendo, uh, the philharmonic orchestra of nature, whether it's the insects or the whispers of the trees or the streams, it's almost like binaural beats, you know. You're hearing this uh, isochronic music. It's relaxing and healing in nature. And right. I do I do want to go for that um, extended 
camp because I'm I know that I'm going to learn so much more and that's yeah. one of my goals but you know even if you go for a shorter period of time it does have such a relaxing quality that when you come back to the city you, you feel rejuvenated you feel nourished and and healed uh, they call it forest bathing right yeah in japan so uh so you live in squamish these days right what's it like to live up there how's the experience been so far so i've lived here since october so most of the time has been through the winter and mm-hmm. i was working 7 days a week just really doing a lot of work so i didn't have a, a lot of opportunity to explore during that time now that i've been on quarantine i have a bike and i've been in the mountains we have an ocean where i can swim we have hikes that i can climb mm-hmm. there's it's the adventure capital of just everyone's very much alive mm-hmm. and living this balanced life between what they do with work and family and being out in nature and there's a sense of energy in the environment of the people moving through the the coffee shops and you see people you know like i didn't have that growing up where i go to a coffee shop and i almost always see somebody i know or i'll be running and someone will wave to me hi zach and it it feels like community i've never had community like i do here and it's such an alive and healthy community so many gardens around me and like i've been to all the yoga studios and i love it i love having the community of people i feel like i can lose myself and give myself to it mm, wonderful and i think certain locations also have a sacredness about them right uh, i felt that when i went to victoria about 2 years back uh when we were going around the city and we were on the beach i could sense the sense of ancient sacred energy that was calling to me uh for me to spend more time there and whenever i go to squamish or maybe pass by squamish on the way to whistler there's definitely this sense of uh i don't know how to describe it it's it's ancient it's primordial it's uh all knowing um it just wants me to be in squamish more so that's why i asked you this question of what it feels like to live there <laughs> i feel that too it comes to me in terms of reverence mm. i would say that nature has a certain sense of spirit and spirits within it and there's still very much in and around squamish i feel like in whistler we've we've chased out a lot of those spirits and some of <laughs> yeah. that it's still yeah. very much there but Is they're there? kind of pushed out a little bit more than squamish so it is a little bit differentiation but the land itself is so rich in spirit and there are so many people and practices and as you said so many healers in BC and Vancouver Victoria Sunshine Coast mm-hmm. it's a very alive spiritual community of people with great connection to the all mm. uh, so Zach have you ever done a vision quest i have not done a full and proper vision quest I have okay. taken myself out for mock vision quests. Okay. Um but I am in communication with someone where I am going to set that up. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so maybe we can talk about that for a bit. What are your thoughts around this cuz I've done my own research about the importance and the power of uh, you know just going out in wilderness and uh, you know being alone for some time and then to your own process. like the hero's journey right the very popular narrative arc that we see in the most popular movies and stories where the hero goes out into the wilderness um faces certain types of challenges or obstacles gets that nectar or that um uh, message brings it back home and and shares it 
for the rest of the village or the community. So, so since you have been planning on that, maybe what are your thoughts around that? And, and why do you feel maybe men need that experience? I love that you mentioned that. That archetypal journey is exactly right on the head in alignment with how I see and feel. Mm. Um, my understanding is that indigenous cultures around the world create initiations for pivotal times in which men particularly make transitions in their life. Mm. Women have natural initiations in their body as they enter menses and have children. So they have less of the formal initiations. My understanding is that many of the indigenous, in particularly the indigenous uh, traditions in BC, like the mm. sweat lodge and the Sundance, were initially meant for men too. And they are to strengthen the nervous system because a woman's nervous system is much stronger than a man's. Evidence is that she can give birth. And they say that most men, if they were to give birth, would die because their nervous systems aren't strong enough. Another way of saying it, they say, is that women are much more connected and spiritual to the earth and to the land. So men and in particular have to go through initiations and practices and offer themselves up in such a way that we can become strong so that we can serve the community. And that rings very true to me. And when I recognize this within myself is when I started taking myself out and fasting. And my first mock um, quest was did 10 days of fasting in the forest. And the whole time I was in one place and I basically prayed for my purpose and spent all my energies and devotion meditating and wanting to go in that direction. Mm. And subsequently, weeks later is when I met my mentor at the ceremony. So for me, the synchronicity of that is uncanny. And I think it is absolutely pivotal. Like we've lost a lot of traditional wisdom mm -hmm. in terms of those ceremonies. And another big one is sacrifice, is laying something down. We used to kill an animal or just putting something on the line and saying, you know what, I'm going to make a pivotal change in my life. And this is what I'm willing to give because you follow through with commitment and you consecrate yourself in a different way. So, uh, yeah, if you're really serious about your path and you're really committed to it, I think a formal initiation, especially among elders of steeped tradition and ancient knowledge, is something that you can't get on your own. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with a couple of things that you shared. Uh, firstly, the fact that uh, I think women are naturally much more emotional, like in, in touch with their emotion, emotional side and their intuitive side. And it's easier, I guess, for women to come together in a circle, in a community and share. But I think men, on the other hand, find it difficult a lot of times if they're going through a struggle or a difficulty that they'll be with themselves. Um, and I think sometimes you just got to let it go. Like you said, praying to the universe or to the Tao or whatever it is for that being to put forward your purpose or to send synchronicity your way. Um, and that's where I think uh, the, um, the journey or the, um, the what, is, what is the, uh, what is it called again? Sweat box, right? Sweat lodge, sorry. Sweat lodge, correct. Sweat lodge or the sweat lodge experience or just being with your elders or that shaman who has the experience to initiate you through, through through the next stage uh, comes into play. So I think it's uh, super important for, um, especially for men, to go through this experience, which is why I've been planning uh, to do this uh, maybe this summer or somewhere somewhere pretty soon. Um, 
And so, you know, this is a question that I ask a lot of my friends as well, but what what does it mean to be a man in in 2020? In terms of being a man, I feel that every person has masculine and feminine energy and we all have a natural dynamic equilibrium between those two. Some men are more dominant in their masculine energy. So speaking towards dominant masculine energy instead of the word man, I would say that there are different stages to becoming a man in the modern world. I feel it used to be much more differentiated. Masculine men were men and feminine women were feminine. And there was a change, especially in the 60s in our culture, where the masculine men became more feminine and grew their hair and sang and became hippies. And then the women stepped more into their dominant role of working in the workforce. And there was a merging. And now the roles have been that we come into our own and we balance our own masculine and feminine energies and that we can step into any situation as we want to be. So it's a conscious choice to stand into that masculine energy again, and it's revitalized. And I think the we're still connecting back to the archetypal masculine archetypes, which are being a warrior, a magician, a chief, and a leader. And those are still embodied in our DNA. And there's an opportunity for all of us to step into that role today, as much as it ever has been, with a new sensitivity towards the feminine energy. So I think the the old archetypal roles of being a, a man are still alive, but they need to be balanced with the recognition of the feminine within us and the role of the feminine in our culture and society. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for sharing. So it's sort of like uh, the coming back into yourself and choosing the energies that you know you resonate most with and knowing that you're not alone that you have people who can support you on this journey right and for me masculine energy is in terms of moving and breathing is something that is embodied one thing that altered my course of life is joining martial arts particularly mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu and moving in such a way where you're Masculine energy in general is more outward moving, dominating, and it's very in tune with being a warrior and fighting. And unless we move our bodies in that way, unless I'm hitting the bag or going on a harsh run, I don't extend myself in that way. I took two years of doing a lot of healing and inward movements, and I became quite weak. I didn't want a cold shower. I became very regressive and passive aggressive. And... It's very therapeutic, I feel, especially for masculine men who aren't exerting themselves in a dominant way. And that doesn't mean domineering or aggressive in the negative way. It just means to move your body and breath in such a way that you're getting some energy moving, you know, moving, hitting the bag. And there's some sense of transformation that happens. Mm-hmm. One of the big things that I came against yeah. was I never realized how on an unconscious level, I was afraid of if a fight or anything ever broke out that honestly, before I learned how to fight, I didn't know how to fight. So I would be scared. And this was Mm. unconsciously affecting my level of confidence until I learned how to fight. And then I was like, Oh, I didn't realize that was holding me back the whole time. And I feel like a lot of men have this and it's like a unconscious sense of insecurity and fear of something that we're, we're protectors as masculine energy men. And if we don't have that capacity, I think deep down, we know it. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty interesting that you mentioned that because I think I heard Joe Rogan mention that on one of his podcasts. And he speaks about the role of men, uh, or at least the traditional role of men to be the protector. And uh, having these 
uh, or practicing these martial arts so that you might not fight, but deep down you know that if such a circumstance does happen, that you can at least protect yourself as well as the one or the people that you are with. So it's sort of like Bruce Lee, right? It's like, you know, you're not going to fight, you're not going to attack for sure. But if circumstances were to happen, that you know how to step up and, and be that warrior. Um, I used to do Taekwondo when I was a kid, but I think I need to uh, get more into, like you mentioned, Jiu-Jitsu or some other form of martial arts. My friend was telling me he started doing that a couple of months back, uh, but I think that can definitely help for sure. There's an intelligence in those systems that for yeah. me is on par with like the yoga and Qigong systems. Like they use every muscle in your body. They use your mind, your emotion. Everything has to be in alignment for you to fully show up. So they evolve the nervous system in such a effective way. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for a moment, let's talk about unprocessed emotions because you sort of alluded to that a while back, but unprocessed emotions from childhood because mm-hmm. these memories and these emotions and a lot of times traumatic experiences can hold us back in life, right? And I get uh, messages from time to time or DMs of people who want to, you know, work on these things, right? So that they can be more in alignment. So, you know, what is your favorite way of working through and uh, addressing these and clearing out these uh, blocked emotions? Mm-hmm. So Dr. Candice Pert is a wonderful resource of, she researched that we hold unprocessed emotion in the physical body in terms of molecules. So there's actually storages in our cells of these emotions that have been trapped in our body and in our subconscious mind for who knows how long, whenever they've been sourced there. They're held in particular parts of the body. And I use different methods, but chakras is a a wonderful way of looking at the zones of the body. And we talked a little bit about that. So we have different levels of the body and they hold particular unprocessed emotions. I particularly use breath and body. So our body holds the legacy and our breath holds the legacy. Uh, speaking towards breath, a full breath can come from our pelvic floor all the way up to our regular diaphragm, our third diaphragm in the throat, and even diaphragms up in the upper palate. So if I assess somebody's breath, and you can probably explore on your own, is your capacity to breathe in the full breathing channel. And if there's any blocks or holdings, This is often due to unprocessed emotion and tension stored in the physical body. Mm. What it is, a resistance for the breath or the center of feeling to move into those areas. Because if you do, there's a capacity where that emotion will arise. So in breath work, if I find an emotional holding or tension, I put a little hand there and a little presence and encourage someone to breathe in there. So the emotions are stored in the body and our capacity to breathe into them and feel them is directly related to our capacity to fully express them and heal them. So between breath and movement, and the two reasons why I focus on those is they're an excellent way to evolve the whole body, mind, and spirit. And when we go into therapy and self-healing, talk therapies don't address pre-verbal, which is the first seven years of our life, which some of the most pivotal conditioning happens and the most insidious patterns that are harder to uncover and the most unconscious are there. And between breath and movement, we can access those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so fascinating that something happens between ages one through seven and you experience a trauma or that uh, negative memory and that affects uh, or creates a certain blockage and it affects how you breathe throughout your life into adulthood. And so basically you're just noticing their patterns of breathing, right? Or are they breathing fully or are they like uh, holding back in, in, in certain areas? 
Exactly. When we're born, if we're not born without any trauma, we have a beautiful full breath pattern. And when we breathe, we have an expansion and a contraction on all our major hormone or gland centers, upper central channel. So if we're not breathing into an area, it's not regulating that area. And your breath is telling me everything at every moment and it's telling you everything. So every moment you have a unique breath print that is telling you a little bit about how you're thinking and feeling and how the energy in your body is flowing. Mm. So it's, there's a language to the breath. There's a language and a legacy of the breath and the trauma in the body and your capacity to fully expand the breath. Your breath is directly related to how you're taking in life. If you think about breath, it is the conduit of life force energy moving into the body. We breathe into no life and our continuous connection to breath is what allows the life-giving energy of prana or the breath to enter our cells and make us alive. So if there's any blockages in our flow of breath throughout the day or throughout our life and our capacity to fully extend, that directly relates to our capacity to be open to experience. So by continually changing the breath, we have the capacity to clear the blocked, unprocessed emotion and learning to consciously control the breath and deepen the breath and experiences keeps us open continually to growth and moving forward in life. So the breath is everything. <laughs> I love the breath. <laughs> I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> so there you go, action drive. The breath is everything. How you breathe is everything. So, you know, if you, it makes sense for you to spend a couple of moments to really uh, evaluate how you're breathing. Uh, are you breathing fully or is your breathing shallow, right? Um, and, and, and just notice uh, and get in touch with your own body because like we're learning today, breathing is everything. Um, and Zach, uh, let's talk about the pandemic right now. I mean, especially where we are at in British Columbia, we're sort of in this phase of reopening, right? Because I think BC did a wonderful job of flattening the curve, although there's still a lot of um, uncertainty around, especially as we hear about the second wave that is, uh, I guess, taking place in a certain part of China. So, uh, but but what, what shifts are you noticing? What, what do you feel is happening collectively? Wow, there's a lot happening. <laughs> um, what shifts are happening? There's so many different levels. We are basically moving as a global community now on some level. We're all involved in this. So there's local shifts happening. The relationship that everyone is having with everybody else is expanding. So our awareness of what's going on in the world as one global community is something that is moving into everyone's conscious mind. And there's a great sense, I feel, of community and involvement and a restructuring of the way that we see ourselves and relate to each other. And this is not without some difficulty when you come and walk by someone on the street and there's a sense of they're fearful to even be near you. But yeah. what we're ultimately going to have to learn is how we can treat each other. And we are made to adapt and evolve to changing circumstances. And through that, we find our growth. So through this experience, I've noticed within myself and within the collective, a great awareness and an opening up of many of the darker shadowy aspects of corruption and society and just the holes we have in our medical system, how we relate to nature. And that's being so much put so much more on the forefront of our conscious minds. And I feel through that individuals and in tune collectives are making shifts to better address that. So as we reintroduce ourselves into society, we're seeing all kinds of measures 
of mindfulness. People becoming more conscious of their how they eat, how they wash themselves. I think we're going to have a resurgence or a surgence of a move towards holistic and taking care of our mental, emotional, and physical health. Mm-hmm. I think many of us have realized what it's like to be alone and disconnected, what it's mm-hmm. like to not be able to hug and love your friends. There's so many layers. We're yeah. experiencing a lot of beautiful growth. I'm still- yeah, <laughs> I totally agree with that. I mean, it's just like <clears throat> when you hold your breath in breath work, you get to appreciate what breath, the value of breath really is, um, especially when, you do, when you're holding your breath and you don't get to breathe. Um, and when you go into that cold shower, you truly get to appreciate what warm <laughs> warmth feels like, right? And the same way, when you're alone and you can't meet that family member or your friends that you're so used to meeting, um, you, when this eases off, you appreciate community and connection and people so much more. Maybe people that you were taking for granted. <laughs> you appreciate those people and those experiences. And I think uh, just being with yourself is challenging for a lot of people. You get to confront those thoughts or those emotions that we were sort of numbing for one reason or the other. You try to find practices like maybe breath work and meditation and yoga that'll help you um, heal yourself. And I think my practices have been even more useful during this pandemic because I have felt that stress and I have felt that anxiety. And when you have these challenges, I think I've been able to relate to people who have these challenges a lot more because I've I'm experiencing this, but also now that I know these practices that allow me to, within minutes, experience more joy, more happiness, more connection, more oneness. I know that no matter what happens, I always have these practices with me to experience the truth. So, so, uh, so yeah, I think we're going through an interesting phase right now, collectively, on a global scale. Beautifully said. And so, you know, based on what we're chatting, which I think has been an amazing conversation, we've explored so many different areas <laughs> of healing and alignment and wellness. What is that one action step that you'd like to share with our listeners? Three main principles that I work with are intention, breath, and body, and building the best relationship you can with these. Adding conscious intention, so moving away from unconscious action, having a relationship with your breath, whether you're just witnessing it or you're taking conscious control of it. And staying connected with your body. The body knows how to heal. And as you continue to listen to it, you'll resource yourself with the most intelligent instrument in the entire universe. So connection to intention, breath and body. So there you go, Action Tribe. I hope you enjoyed today's session so far. If there's one thing that you can take away from today's session, it's that your breath is powerful. Your breath controls how you feel, how you hold your body, how you react, and ultimately your entire life. You can stay without food for about uh, 25 to 30 days. You can go without water for about four to six days approximately. Uh, Three days, actually. Uh, But uh, try not breathing for for two minutes and you'll get to know how important your breathing is. Uh, But the key is not just to breathe, but to breathe correctly and fully and deeply so that you feel that relaxation, you feel that joy, you feel connected and you give your body the nourishment that it is so craving for. And that's probably why Thich Nahan, the Buddhist monk and visionary and philosopher once said, breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile out. Dwelling in the present moment, I know this is a wonderful moment. And with that being said, we are now ready for the last round for today, which is the wisdom round, which includes four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. So, Zach, what is the best advice that you have ever received till date? That's a challenging question. The, that's, um, 
I want to refute your question. <laughs> <laughs> the best at certain points in my life is different. I, it's hard to think of the best, best. Um, or maybe well, one good advice that you received. Um, one of the, especially of late. The most recent one that's come into mind is you will be hated. <laughs> Just the awareness that when you truly put yourself out there in your truth, that not everyone will receive it well. And there will be a considerable backlash and that's part of standing in your truth and if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone who is living or dead uh who would it be i'm really fascinated by the buddha i would love to spend some time with the buddha in silence Hmm. and what is that one thing you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before you go to sleep that has improved the quality of your life i give thanks i give gratitude Mm -hmm. and uh finally what is that one book that you could recommend for our listeners Mm. Let me look at my bookshelf. <laughs> um, one book I recently read, it's called The Abundance of Less. And it catalogs different people who live simply off the land in Japan. And for people who aren't accustomed to living a simple life or live in the cities, like me, I haven't fully adopted that lifestyle. And the peace and the connection to earth and the spirituality it seems so authentic and natural when living and tending to our mother earth. It comes through in that book and it really inspired me during this time. God, thanks a lot for sharing. We'll have this link in the show notes. Action Tribe, would you like to listen and receive one book for free? Because audible.com has offered all our listeners one free audiobook with a free 30-day trial so that you can get to check out this new way of consuming books, which is not reading, but actually listening to the books and in most cases the author himself or herself reads out the book to you so especially if you're in this pandemic and you're wondering what to do reading a book going through a book listening to a book is a wonderful way and my phone is filled with books from audible so if you'd like to try this out go to my forward slash free book that's my forward slash free book and you can see all the available books online so Zach, thank you so much for coming on our show. I truly appreciate it. I enjoyed this conversation. Uh, before you go, tell us one thing that you are grateful for and how can we find you online? I'm so grateful for communication in this time, staying connected to other people and being able to have these conscious communications. How can you find me online? I am available at my website, www.zkcoaching.ca. I have Instagram, which I regularly post on at Breathe with Zach. And those are the two best places. Awesome. So we'll have this up in the show notes. Action Tribe, if you are on Instagram, then take a screenshot of this episode or maybe this live stream and uh, tag us on Instagram so that uh, we can share your story with our community. My handle is at my seven chakras seven is a word at my seven chakras and zach just mentioned it's uh, breathe with zach make sure you take a screenshot and tag us and as next steps if you'd like to discover how to raise your vibration and start feeling much better immediately then go to my seven chakras.com forward slash feel better now my seven chakras.com forward slash feel better now and as always if you have any feedback thoughts comments any observations at all then go to then email me at aj at my7chakras.com. AJ at my7chakras.com. Zach, thank you so much for joining me on this episode and talking to us about the power of our breath and so many more things and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you. 
listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is My S-E-V-E-N Chakras.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.